I want you to open today over to the book of Psalms, chapter 116, or Psalm 116. We have been in a series, the seven motivations of the Christian life. There may certainly be more than that, but uh, I've kind of boiled it down to these. And uh, we are on the sixth. We have one more week next week, and, uh, and then we will be through with this series. Today we are talking about the sixth motivation, and I actually put two of them together because they're inseparable. The love and grace of God. The love and grace of God. In Psalm 116, you know, people sometimes say, oh, that Old Testament, that's just mean and harsh and vindictive and God with lightning bolts to strike people dead and all this kind of stuff. I beg your pardon on that, if you can look at this verse and see anything but grace, you see more than I do. In Psalm 116, verse 12, the psalmist says this, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits? Do you see the love of the psalmist for the Savior? And yet, It didn't start with the psalmist. It started with God. It's because of the benefits of God that the psalmist was moved, motivated to want to serve the Lord. The love and grace of God are so closely related and intertwined. While they are not the same, we are going to look at them together, for they work together. What God has done for us through Christ is the basis of this motivation. And so if you have not been with us during this series, let me just really, really briefly mention a couple things to put in place to where you'll understand where we're going with this. What is a motivation? Well, that's a good question. A motivation is something that causes you to move or act, okay? It is a stimulus in our lives that God uses to move us or get us to act in a certain direction in the Christian life. This is just for the believer. This is just for the believer. And God does that in our lives. Now, he uses a lot of them, and he uses them, I think, different times, a different motivation, one thing or another. We've covered lots of motivations in this series. But this one we're coming down to today, I think, is certainly a major one, the love and the grace of God. And so let's go through this. The first thing we want to touch on is this. Let's define some terms, okay? Let's define the love of God. What is love, okay? Love has nothing to do with Cupid, has nothing, really nothing to do with the way Valentine's Day is portrayed many times. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to show your love towards someone on Valentine's Day. That's a good thing. We should be doing it, though, all the time, right? 24-7, not just on a certain day of the year. But what is the love of God? Well, what is love? When the the Bible talks about love in relationship to God, it's, it's agape love. It's the highest form of love. It is seeking the highest good for another person. It is to unselfishly give of yourself to another without demanding anything back in return. If you will not love unless someone gives you something back, that's not pure love. Okay, that's a deal. That's a, that's a contract. That's not the love of God. 
The true love is perfectly seen in John chapter 3 and verse 16, isn't it? Let's go there in John chapter 3. You're familiar with it, I believe. Most of us are. John chapter 3 in verse 16. Another way to define love, which I very much relate to, is this. You might want to write this down. Love is the deepest care. The deepest care. You know, when we think of love, sometimes we have a hard time defining that or relating to that word. But when I think in terms of the deepest care, that makes a lot of sense to me. In 1 Peter, it says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The first part of that verse, and I know we didn't project that but uh, up here on the screen, but the first part of that, casting all your care, that word means, that word care means anxieties. For he careth for you, ah, that's the one we're looking at. The deepest care. When God looks at you and me, he has the deepest care in mind towards us. That's, that's love. John 3.16, we see it clearly. For God so loved the world that he gave. Do you see it? The relationship between loving and giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Practical word studies of the New Testament says this, agape love is the love of the mind, of the reason, and of the will. It is a love that is born of choice. One simply chooses to love regardless of feelings. You choose to love. I think of as we get older as people, how our love deepens towards our spouses. And that takes on a whole different dimension of caring. Okay, and yes, it's an issue of the heart, but it's just an issue of of its life, okay? That relationship that is there. You care and you want to help in any way. It is a sacrificial love, a love that is willing to die even for your enemies. That's the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Gave his only begotten son, folks. We know that's not just referring to, okay, you need Jesus in the world. Here he is. There he is. Let him live his life and come to heaven. No, friends. The plan of salvation was in the mind of God before he ever created anything, the Bible tells us. Jesus, it says in Revelation, he's slain before the foundations of the world. In the mind of God, it was there. God knew what he would do. His love was there for us. He knew we would fall. I know this is some of the deepest stuff, and I don't want to get off on a, on a sidetrack on this too much. This is some of the deepest stuff you can think about. If God knew man was going to sin, why did God allow it? Why did God do what he did with this, folks? All I can tell you is... My feeble answer to that is to put on display his love and grace. I don't know what else to say about it. Before man was ever created, God had already put together the plan of salvation. He knew man would sin and he knew he would sacrifice his son. It wasn't once man sinned, God says, now what do I do? Oh, here's an idea. No, it was already there. God's all-knowing. Nothing ever occurs to God. By the way, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Love is an attribute of God. The Bible says God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 
16. So this is the love of God. It is the deepest of care, unselfishly giving to another without demanding anything back in return. That's love. But let's define the grace of God. Number two, defining the grace of God. What is grace? Grace, basically, it means favor. Okay, now we know that favor is unmerited and it is undeserved. It is undeserved, unmerited favor. God chooses to deal with us with grace. And by the way, therefore, if it's unmerited, it's free. It's free. People get freaked out. You know, people who say they're believers, I don't know if they are or not. Hopefully they are. I don't want anybody to end up in hell. But people say, well, yeah, I'm a believer. Jesus is my savior. But you people, you have to stop telling people that salvation is a free gift. Because listen, uh, there's a commitment involved to live your life for Christ. Well, let me tell you, friend, number one, the Bible says salvation is a free gift. And that's not me, that's what God says. So you take it up with him. And the reason it's free is because we could never earn it by our good works. And it's not Jesus plus our good works, it's Jesus alone who is the Savior. He says, well, Jehovah says in Isaiah 43, 11, I even, I am the Lord and besides me there is no Savior. And that means you're not the Savior and you're not even part of your Savior. If you're ever gonna be saved, end up in heaven, It's only by the grace of God through faith alone in Christ alone. That's the only way. So salvation is a free gift. It's not through reformation. It's not through sorrow. It's not through commitment. It is through simple understanding. You are helplessly, hopelessly lost, and you put your faith in the one who died on the cross and paid for all of your sin and came back from the dead. And that was Jesus Christ. Grace, unmerited Grace is free. It is God doing something for us that we in no way deserve or can earn. That's grace. He simply chooses to do it because he wants to do it. Look with me to Romans chapter 3 in verse 24. The phrase today, I know I say it often, but no one else is saying it, so I need to say it. I won't say it as much if somebody else starts saying it. The new term, the buzzword, the mantra, quote unquote, of modern day evangelicalism. We don't talk about people being believers anymore. We talk about them being Christ followers. Now, I think a Christian should follow Christ in their life, but not to earn salvation, or it's not if you don't follow Christ, you won't go to heaven, because following Christ has to do with living your life for him, and you're not saved by living your life for him. That's good works. Now, yes, good works should, the emphasis is on the word should, follow a person putting their faith in Christ, but it's not a condition. It's not even a proof. People in the cults, you look at some Mormon families or even Catholic families, people who are living, trying to live a moral life, who want their kids to be respectful and all that, some of those homes are more godly on the outside than even some Christian homes that we know of. You're not saved by good works. It's good to be good, but it won't save you. It won't save you. We are saved through simply trusting in Christ. Romans 3.24, being justified, declared righteous, freely. Do you see it? Freely by what? By his grace, because grace is always free. 
because it's undeserved, it's unmerited. If you can merit salvation, it's not grace. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption, how do we get redeemed? It's in Christ Jesus. It's what Jesus has done for us, not what we do. It's what he has done for us. So this is grace. So we've seen what love is. We've seen what grace is. And these two beautifully work together as a motivator in the Christian life. But let's, before we get to that and how that works its way out, let's, let's look at a third point here, and it's this. Let's look at the manifestation of the love and grace of God. How do we know, and I know I've already touched on a little bit, how do we know that God loves us and wants to be gracious towards us? Well, turn with me over to 1 John chapter 4, the manifestation of the love and grace of God. The word manifest means to put on display, to show it. The manifestation of the love and grace of God. How do we know God loves us? How do we know God deals with us according to grace? Well, because of what he did. History bears it out. Reality bears it out. It's the most wonderful thing in all the world. Listen, folks, when I got saved, I got so excited about this. And there were family members who they discussed what something bonkers had happened to me is in their mind. And some said, well, it's probably just a phase he's going through. He'll get over it. I haven't gotten over it. I have it worse today than ever. And you know what? I'm thrilled to my toes that I haven't gotten over it because I am a captured individual by the love and grace of God. And there's nothing better 1 John 4, verse 9, in this was manifested, put on display. Here you go. You want to see the love of God? In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That a big word, propitiation. I say, why does the Bible use words like that? Because these precious words, listen, folks, it's worth learning what they mean because when you see the word, it is a package of glorious truth wrapped up in one word. Only God can do something so magnificent as this. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Isn't it interesting? Verse nine says, God sent, God sent Verse 10, God sent his son on a mission because God so loves us. God says the only way man can be brought back into right relationship with me is that I send you, son, to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And that's what Jesus did. He came to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means the payment that satisfies the satisfactory payment. Look up here. Here's what God's done for us. This hand representing you and me. We're going to let my wallet represent all the things we do wrong, our sins. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Yet the Bible says God loves us. He hates our sin, but loves us. Our sin separates us from him. You cannot get into heaven with even one sin, not even one. You have to be sinless in the eyes of God to get into heaven. Revelation 21, 27 says not even one lie can enter. That's why you can't earn your way to heaven by good works. All the sin has to be gone. How are you going to do that? 
Being sorry for it doesn't pay for it. It has to be paid for. We've broken the laws of God. There's a penalty that goes with that. The wages of sin is death, separation from God for all eternity. That's why good works cannot do this, because good works are not the payment for sin. The Bible says death is the payment for sin. So then what are we going to do? If the best I can do will not take away my sin, and if I die with it, I'm lost forever, no second chances. What am I going to do? Well, that is why God sent his son, because we couldn't do anything. This hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God. And when he went to the cross, he took all of our sin, all of it, your whole lifetime of sin. He took it upon himself and he made the payment. So you don't have to, so I don't have to. He died and was buried and rose from the grave to prove it was done. And he offers us eternal life as a free gift if we will simply put our faith in him that he did that for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If it's everlasting life, do you know what that means? It means you can never lose it. Because if you can lose it, it's not everlasting. If it stops, it's not everlasting. There's nothing you can do once you have everlasting life to lose your salvation. I say, well, if you sin really bad, wait a minute, how many sins did Jesus pay for on the cross. He paid for all of them. Well, if I believe that, I go out and rape, murder, and steal. Well, thanks for warning me. I'll stay away from you. (laughs) No, friend, you know what? If you get captured by the love and grace of God, that won't be the way your life is. Now, yeah, you can abuse the grace of God. You can abuse your liberty. Romans 6 talks about that. Galatians 5 talks about that. But that's not the will of God. Why is it that we just can't be satisfied with what Jesus has done? So the manifestation of the love and grace of God. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Listen carefully. The love of God was not enough to take care of our salvation. You might say, what are you talking about? Listen carefully. God's love does not save you. I want you to listen. God's love does not save you. God cannot just let people into heaven because he loves them. Can't do it. He is as much holy and just as he is loving. His justice must be satisfied before you can enter his presence. God's holiness and justice demanded a payment for our sins. Here's how this fits. God's love acted in grace to provide salvation freely to all mankind who could do nothing to save themselves. And he also saves us by his grace. His love was there. His love, his deep concern and care for us was there. But his justice had to be satisfied. But God provided a way of salvation through his grace. And when you put your faith in Christ, God saves you by his unmerited kindness, undeserved favor. His grace provided for us a substitute in our Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only God man. He died in our place to pay the debt we owe for our sin. It was love and grace that provided our salvation. 
Love his care, his concern for us. That was there. Remember when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. That's his love. But love alone cannot save us. God has to act and do something to where he can save us. And that's what he did through sending Christ. That's why these two things go hand in hand. That's why it's so awesome and amazing. We do not deserve such an act. Love and grace provided it, but we don't deserve it. God sacrificed his own son. Now think about that, folks. Those aren't just words on the paper. God sacrificed his own son. Humanly speaking, how many of us would be willing to sacrifice one of our children? Human level, okay. How many of us would sacrifice one of our children for people who couldn't care less? God sacrificed his own son for rebellious sinners, most of whom would reject the payment Christ made. And yet he did it anyway. His love coupled with grace provided for us a way of salvation. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, believing he paid for all of our sin and rose from the grave, he saves us forever by his grace. Go with me to Romans chapter 3. Back to Romans chapter 3. We see the contrast so clearly spelled out here in Romans 3, verse 23 and 24. We've already seen verse 24, but I want you to see how these beautifully couple. We see the problem, and then we see the solution. The problem, we're sinners. The solution, God sent Jesus to save sinners by grace, because we couldn't do it. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Listen carefully to this. One commentator said this, I think it's profound. God has two kinds of attributes, absolute, what he is in himself, and relative, how he relates to the world and men. One of his absolute attributes is love. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. When God relates that love to you and me, it becomes grace and mercy. Wow. Wow. That is powerful. Let me show you that in the text of Scripture. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3, we won't read them. Talks about our lost condition, that we're alienated from God. We're dead in trespasses and sins. By the way, dead in trespasses and sins does not mean that you can't make a decision Well, they're spiritually dead. Listen, the Calvinists say, well, you're spiritually dead. You can't make a decision to trust Christ as Savior. God's got to regenerate you before you can believe. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. If I have to be regenerated, born again, before I believe, then why do I need to believe if I'm already born again? Quit reading that stuff. It's ridiculous. No, friend, listen. If you can't believe, then you can't do anything wrong either, if that's what you mean by dead. If you can't make a good decision because you're dead, then you can't make a bad decision either because you're dead. Do you see the problem with Calvinism? No, let's just believe God, huh? God makes sense. Calvinism does not. Some people won't like that, but it's okay. From rubbing your fur the wrong way, then turn around. Okay. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, talking about verses 1 through 3, the dismal condition we find ourselves in as lost people. And then it comes to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
For his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. See, there are several different but key words here in these two verses. Love, mercy, and grace. Do you see them? Love, mercy, and grace. Mercy is us not getting something that we do deserve, which is hell. We deserve hell. We have violated God's holiness and righteousness. We've sinned against him. We deserve hell, every one of us. Grace is just the opposite. Grace is getting something wonderful that we don't deserve. Salvation is not just a matter of mercy. It's also a matter of grace. That's why Titus says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Some people say, well, which one is it? Are we saved by grace or mercy? The answer is yes. If you believe God, the answer is yes. Just go figure it out. What we see in salvation is God showering on us so many benefits that we in no way deserve. And that is grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it in any way. It's God, because of his deep love and concern for us, moving in grace, providing a way of salvation. And then when we believe he did that, he saves us by that grace. It is amazing. The Bible says God does this just because he wants to. All he asks us to do is believe it. And that is what faith is. Believing it for yourself. Believing it on your behalf. If you have to do more than simply believe, then you are trying to earn it. All right, look at verses four and five again. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. Verse six, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. When he saved me by his grace, and that was enough, but he says, no, son, there's more to come. There's more to come. That has to be on the basis of grace because he promised me there's more to come, but I hadn't lived good or bad yet. So it wasn't based on that. This is amazing. That in the ages to come, the exceeding riches of his grace, or he might show, he might show, put on display the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. It is all because of Christ that the Father will do this for you and me. We are believers in Christ. We as believers are in Christ. We are in him. When he looks at me, he sees the very righteousness of his son. God will forever heap blessings on us for all eternity. Folks, not just up to the new heavens and the new earth. If you're a believer in Christ, you're going to enjoy this and be blessed and awestruck by this in a capacity that we can't even comprehend today. And it's going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And there will never be a stop to the raptured thrill of being an object of the grace of God. We have limited understanding of what he's going to do in the future, 
But it's all good, and he's going to do it forever. That's grace. That's grace. He will show us the exceeding riches of his grace. Grace has no limits. Grace is infinite. Remember, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God's grace will never be exhausted in all of eternity, nor will he ever cease to lavish blessings on his children. Think about it. The righteous, holy God moved on behalf of people who deserve nothing but hell and will give them the very best there is forever. We deserve nothing but hell, and he's going to give us the very best there is forever, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior. That's amazing grace. Now we're here in Ephesians. Keep reading. Verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Because if it was of yourself, it wouldn't be grace, because grace is unmerited. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Gifts are free, not of works, lest any man should boast. The late William R. Newell had it right when he penned these lyrics. Deep theology. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. So lastly today, our response to the love and grace of God. Our response to the love and grace of God. Well, guess what? We're going back to Psalm 116. Go back with me where we began. And with all of this in mind, here's the question of the day. What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? Psalm 116, 12. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? While the Lord uses all the motivations that we've covered in our lives at various times, love and grace are perhaps the greatest of them all. As we walk with him through life, I believe we are motivated by them, love and grace, more and more. Nothing wrong with the other motivations. They're there. It's part of the Bible. But there's something about love and grace that I think grows as the child of God grows. We understand it. Listen, life itself becomes an act of worship. Life itself. Where he becomes your passion. What you think about. The one you want to bring glory to. Come back next week. The glory of God is the last motivation, but we'll get there. Life itself becomes an act of worship. First uh, John chapter 4, you don't have to turn there. I'll just quote it to you. You can if you want, but First John 4, 19, it says this. See how it fits together? We love him. Why? Because he first loved me. Because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Do you see the motivation there? I'm motivated to live for Christ 
to love him. Why? Well, it's because he loved me. That motivates me. And his grace that provided the way of salvation and salvation itself. You know, the Apostle John, the Apostle John, who, by the way, wrote 1 John. He's also the one who penned the Gospel of John. In his Gospel, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he did it five times. He's the only Bible writer who said it that way, that term. He never mentioned his own name in his gospel. He just referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. When he penned those things, folks, he had been saved for about 60 years. And God, the Holy Spirit, moved him to write it that way. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, by the way, he doesn't have a copyright on that. And if you want to say, hey, I too am a disciple whom Jesus loved, you can do that. That's called Bible application. What a thrill that is. This response to the love and grace of God, this response is what takes place when a person starts realizing how much God loves them and how wonderful God's grace is to us. It is the fact and the motivation that because the Lord has been so good to us, we want to serve him. It's not drudgery. It's privilege. It's joy. It is valuing the cross and the blessings of this life that motivates us to serve him. It's being, folks, at time overtaken and awestruck. Oh, Lord, I'm speechless about what you've done. And what you're going to do, what you've promised. I'm speechless of what you've done for me. Lord, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And life itself becomes an act of worship. Folks, this is a biblical motivation. It's not a have to. It is a want to. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5. We see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. He talks about it, not only on his behalf, but for us as well, we know. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, it says, "For the, now read it carefully, for the love of Christ, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. But unto him which died for them and rose again. You notice it doesn't say in verse 14, for our love for Christ constraineth us. No, it's the love of Christ for us that constrains us. The word constrain means to be compelled, to be taken with. Paul was consumed by this. God's love for him captured him, controlled him. It motivated him. Let me bring this home. The attitude should not be, oh no, it's Sunday again. I have to go to church. Oh no, they're passing the plate. These people are just greedy for money. Oh no, they're talking about sharing the gospel again. I don't want to share the gospel. Makes me uncomfortable. Oh no, I have to read my Bible. I feel guilty if I don't read my Bible because they're always talking about reading the Bible. 
Friend, you know nothing about the love and grace of God. I like to use the term, you have not been spending time at the foot of the cross. No, it should be, I get to go to church today, I can't wait. It's Sunday, or it's Wednesday, or I get to read my Bible, I can't wait. I get to share the gospel with people. I can't wait for fair evangelism this week. I, man, I'm going to be a part. I'm going to lead some people to Christ. This, people need to understand how great God is and what he's done for them. I get to give when the plate goes by or other times. I get to give. I have the privilege of giving back to the one who loved me and gave his life for me. One last verse, Romans chapter 12. See, folks, as a Christian, let the love of, and the grace of God motivate you to serve him in ways that you never thought possible. Christians who don't want to live for Christ have not been walking with him. There is nothing in him that is not lovely, that is not beautiful, that is not wonderful. Going all the way back to what he did for you and me on the cross. It's where it all gets planted in our lives. That's why Paul, after writing this under inspiration, absolutely staggering, amazing letter of Romans, talking about the plan of salvation for us, our lostness, God's provision in Christ, the fact that we're not saved by works, that God not only saves us eternally, but will save us from ourselves and our sin nature, which we still have every day. He gives us the way to do that. Tells us of his unfailing love for the nation of Israel. Talks about their past, their present, their future. Romans 9, 10, 11. And then he gets to the end of chapter 11. He talks about how marvelous God's plan is. And then in light of that, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I beg you, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Remember that? The mercy? We saw that in Ephesians 2. In view of the mercy God had towards us in saving us is what he's getting at. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The word reasonable, Greek logikos, it's... We get our word logical from it. It's only logical in light of what he's done for us that we would do that. Now, let me say this. If you happen to be here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, we're not talking about religion. We're talking about reality. Religion is man trying to bind himself back to God. Salvation, Christianity, is God providing for us the means to where we can come into that relationship with him. Be his child, be saved forever, and enjoy the blessings of that. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ alone to get you to heaven, would you do it today? Those of you watching over the internet, would you please trust in Jesus Christ as your savior? You have no idea what's in store, the wonderful things in store when you trust in Christ as your savior. You'll be saved forever and then believe it or not, it just gets added to as time goes on, the greatness of walking with Christ. Trust in Christ. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit 
www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.